0: I'm not telling you anything this morning. When I tell you, this life is hard. This life is tough. This world is unfair. This world is evil, so evil. In this world you'll have trouble. You'll have tribulations. Jesus told us that we will have troubles in this world. In this world we will suffer. That is the biblical truth. You will suffer, especially if you commit yourself to the cause of Jesus Christ. The Bible is very clear. You will suffer. So here is the question this morning. Can you sing in your suffering? Can you sing in your suffering? When your health is gone, when your finances have failed, when your friends are few, When the pain is unbearable, when loneliness overtakes you, when death has visited you, when you cannot understand, can you sing in your suffering? Let me tell you something. I want to have a faith like that. I want to have a faith like that, I sure do. I want to have a faith that come what may in life, whatever circumstance I'm found in in life, if you get close to me, that you would hear a song. I want to have a faith like that. Today, our message is entitled, Can You Sing in Your Suffering? Our verses today are Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 25. Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through twenty-five, Can you sing in your suffering? I'm gonna ask if you would, if you'd stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's word. Acts chapter 16, beginning in the 16th verse, it says this. It happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl having a spirit of divination met us who is bringing her master's much profit by fortune telling. Following after Paul and us, she kept crying out saying, these men are bond servants of the most high God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. She continued doing this for many days, but Paul was greatly annoyed and turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very moment. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, these men are throwing our city into confusion being Jews and are proclaiming customs, which it is not lawful for us to accept or observe being Romans. The crowd rose up together against them and the chief magistrates tore the robes off them and proceeded to order them beaten with rods. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them." Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today, and I'm thankful that we have a risen Savior today. I'm thankful that we have a hope that endures today. I'm thankful that we have peace in our Savior, Jesus. We have the forgiveness of sin today. Lord, I'm thankful that whatever circumstance, as hard as it might be, as we've gathered here today, that we can turn to the one who knows, to the one who cares, to the one that's powerful and trustworthy and faithful to do something about it. Lord, we come and we worship you this morning. I pray as we began to study your word this morning, I pray that you would speak. And I pray across this room that you would remove any hindrance. And I pray, Lord, that it would truly be a supernatural event and you would speak to us, your people today. Lord, I pray for some here Maybe maybe a few that do not know you. I pray that in the hearing of the good news of our Savior, that today might be the day of their salvation. Lord, we give you this day. We give you this hour. We give you this time as an act of worship. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Today we pick up again in Acts chapter 16 with again the stark realization that Satan attacks where God is working. Now we've seen that several times as we've passed through our study in Acts, but we see it again as we drop into the 16th chapter today, Satan attacks where God is working. Now I want us to be very sure this morning, Satan cannot stand the advance of the gospel. He cannot stand the redemption of sinners. And be very sure this morning, he cannot stand the exaltation of our Lord Jesus Christ. He can't stand those things. He can't tolerate those things. And so he attacks where God is working. Most of the time he attacks those that he is working through. Now, Jesus told us to expect that. The scriptures, the apostles' writings tell us that we can be sure of that. Already in Acts, we have seen it over and over already again. Satan attacks where God is working. Here in our account today, Paul has made it to Philippi. God has directed him to Macedonia He is now in the Macedonian city of Philippi. We know from our account that Luke and Timothy and Silas are with him. Now their their mission there, their purpose there, they are proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're proclaiming the truth of Jesus Christ. Now that's important to see. They didn't go there to, to do some good deed. They didn't go there to establish some sort of benevolent mission they go to proclaim the gospel, the good news, the truth of Jesus Christ. Last week we saw their first convert there was a woman named Lydia. We saw in our verses that God opened her heart in the preaching of the good news of the gospel and she put her faith in Jesus Christ. She trusted Jesus Christ for her salvation. In that event, We see the church there in Philippi is underway. People are being saved. She has allowed them to stay in her house. And the movement, the church there in Philippi is underway. God is working. Praise the Lord. God is working. People are being saved. God is working. The church has started there in Philippi. And that is our context. All right, verse 16. It happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl having a spirit of divination met us, who is bringing her masters much profit by fortune telling. Remember from last week, there is no Jewish synagogue in Philippi, and so they gather outside of town by a river. Now their normal practice would be to go to the, to the synagogue, but because there's not one, they go outside of town by this river. Well, as this event becomes a frequent happening on this day, the Bible says that a slave girl with a spirit of divination met them. Now the Bible tells us that she was bringing her owners much money, she was making them wealthy by her telling of fortunes. She has an evil spirit, she has a demonic spirit, and she tells fortunes. Her owners profit from this activity. Now, I want to say this, and I want to be very sure of this up front. Be sure and know that is of Satan. I I want you to hear, and I want you to understand today, that is not a joke. That is not something we ought to be curious about. That is not something to laugh at Today, hear me, listen very well, mediums, fortune tellers, psychics, palm readers, seers, they are not of Christ, rather they're of Satan. Today I, I hear, and there's a new thing, and I don't, I don't know, it's not maybe a new thing, but it's got a new title. I hear of Christian mystics, or Christian psychics, or Christian mediums. There's some of them on TV now. They have TV shows. There's a lady called the Long Island Medium, and she supposedly is a Christian medium. Uh, She came to Wichita Falls, and she sold tickets and had an event there in Wichita Falls. Listen, a Christian medium, a Christian psychic, a Christian seer, listen, they are deceivers. They are liars. They are of Satan, and they do not know Jesus Christ. All right, verse 16 again, let me read it again. "'It happened as we were going to the place of prayer, "'a slave girl having a spirit of divination met us "'who is bringing her masters much profit "'by fortune telling,' verse 17. "'Following after Paul and us,' Luke is writing, "'she kept crying out saying, "'These men are bondservants of the Most High God "'who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation.'" The first part of verse 18 says, she continued doing this for many days. Now, I want you to see this. It's very important. She is not of Christ, and yet she is following them, and she is saying, these men are bondservants of the most high God, that's the Jewish God, the one true God, who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. She is following behind them, that is what she is continually saying. Now I want you to see this, and it is the truth. That is exactly the truth. These men are bondservants of Christ, of the most high God, the one true God, and they are actually proclaiming to you the way of salvation. Here's what I want you to notice, it's very important. Why would she say that? Why would she come along and speak that truth behind them as they travel? Why would she say that? Well, maybe it is to add validity to her position. Maybe it is to open to her a new audience. Maybe it is to tie herself to the cause of Jesus Christ. I want you to see this. This is an attack of Satan trying to work in the newly forming church, trying to get in to the newly forming church. You see, Satan often works by getting close to the real, and Satan always works by imitating the real. I want you to hear that again. Satan often works by getting close to the real, and Satan always works by imitating the real. And so, instead of getting far from the work of God, Satan tries to get right in the work of God. Now, let me ask you a question. What if they'd have let her? What if somehow she got influence in the church and they said, well, her message is the truth, and so we're gonna let her speak in the church. What damage could have been done to the church? What destruction could have been wrought, could have come about in the church? Folks, be very sure of this. Contrary to the public thought, Satan doesn't run from the church. No, he tries to get right smack in the middle of the church. And that's where he wrecks the most havoc. Verse 18. She continued doing this for many days. But Paul was greatly annoyed and turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And it came out at that very moment. Verse 18, Paul, in the authority that he had as an apostle, turns and commands the spirit in the name of Jesus, meaning in the power of Jesus, in the the truth and the reality of Jesus, I command you to come out. And the Bible says the spirit immediately does. Now, I want to be sure, and I want to say this at this point, this was done, be sure of this, this is, this is not make-believe, this is a real account, but be sure to understand this was done in the authority given to him as an apostle. Now, we read of all the miraculous accounts, it was to confirm the validity of the gospel message and so they're preaching this strange gospel message of a resurrected savior and they have the authority to do these miraculous things to validate the message of the gospel. And so he does it in the authority that he has as an apostle and it is always done to confirm the message of that gospel. Listen very carefully. Today, we have no command to do the same. I want you to hear that today in the church. We have no command to do the same. Nowhere in the Bible does it tell us as New Testament followers of Jesus Christ to cast out demons. It does not. Today, listen very carefully, we have no instruction in Scripture in how to do the same. There are no verses in the Bible that say if there's a demonic possession, these are the things, these are the words that you would say. We are not commanded in Scripture to do the same. Nowhere found in God's Word is there a formula for casting out demons. Now, let me me tell you why I just said all that. I've met people and people have come to me and they say, you know what? If if we're gonna cast out demons, we have to do this. I had some folks come into this church and they were from a different town and a different church and they brought a big notebook of ways that you can cast out demons and they wanted to show me their big notebook. And they came and they said, you know what? You have to say this. That's how you do it. You have to do this thing. That's how you do it. These particular folks said you have to ask their name. And evidently a demon's not a liar enough that if you ask their name, they wouldn't tell you. But if you ask them their name, they'll tell you. They have to is what they said. And when the demon tells you their name, you get dominion over that demon. And when you have dominion over that demon, then you can command them to leave. And that's what they were, that's what they were telling me. Uh, people are big in this the church they came from, it is a growing church. It's a big movement. And I, and I, I wanna tell you, and I wanna be, be sure of this. Friend, nowhere does the Bible teach us to do that, to seek that. Now, while I've got you here, let me tell you what it does say. Listen very carefully. It does say that a believer is filled with the Holy Spirit of God, listen carefully. And so therefore a believer cannot be demon possessed. Did you hear that? A believer is filled with the totality of the Holy Spirit of God. And so therefore a believer cannot be demon possessed. And so if a person is filled with a demon, it means they are lost. And the Bible says the hope of any lost person Is to hear and to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so listen, it may not be flashy and it may not sell a bunch of TV tickets, it may not fill up Colosseums, but the way what the Bible says, the way that you set someone free from the demonic is the same way you set somebody free from their sin, and that is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. Jesus saves, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. And it came out at that very moment, verse 19. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. Now the marketplace was the town square. Business was done there. If you were looking for a job, you would go there. Trade was done there. The city authorities would rule there in the public square, in the marketplace, the town square. Well, the masters, they don't care about the girl. They're not glad that she's been set free from the demonic possession. Rather, they're upset that they've lost their source of income. And so the Bible says they seize Paul and Silas and they drag them, that's the actual word, they drag them before the authorities. Folks, if you wanna see folks get stirred up let faith become inconvenient for their pocketbook. And you'll see folks get stirred up. Then and now, listen sin is big business. Now that's a whole other sermon. I'll wait for another day. But when our masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. All right, verse 20. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, these men are throwing, confu- throwing our city into confusion, being Jews. Now the chief magistrates were the two highest judges in the city. There's usually two that serve in each city. There are two highest judges. Well, these men bring them before the chief magistrates and notice here, they do not say they have cost us a lot of money They do not say they've ruined our gig in the fortune-telling business. No, they take them before the two judges and they say they are causing disorder in the city, listen to this, being Jews. All right, verse 21. And are proclaiming customs, which it is not lawful for us to accept or observe being Romans. Romans. Now, I want you to watch this in verses 20 and 21. See what they are doing here. They are plotting the Romans, us being Romans, verse 21, against the Jews, verse 20. All right, see this. The first way that we see Satan attacks is to try and gain influence and position credibility in the church. That's the first way. Well, now the second way He reaches into his tool bag and he finds the tool of division of hatred and prejudice. Now we're going to see in a moment that it actually does work, but I want us to be very sure today, and I've said this before, and we need to be quick to always say this. We need to be sure God made one race. God made one people. And out of that, people, the Bible says, God himself says, he makes no distinction of skin color. He makes no distinction of education. He makes no distinction of wealth level. He doesn't care if we're Jews or if we're Gentiles. He doesn't care if we're male or if we're female. He doesn't care if we're rich or poor. He doesn't care, but listen, Satan does. Satan does, and he divides He sets people against each other. That is the ploy of Satan. You want to know what's wrong with our divided world today? Look around. You want to know what's happening, what's going on in our divided world? It is Satan that's the problem. It is Satan that divides and turns people on one another. First way, he seeks to influence those in the church. Second way, he seeks to cause division among people. The third way that he attacks in our account is he actually begins to now attack those that are carrying the message. Verse 22. The crowd rose up together against them and the chief magistrates tore their robes off of them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. Now the crowds fire up, the crowds well up. They fell for the trick as they're turned against each other and the magistrates, they have their own police force and they tear the clothes off of them. I want you to start seeing this picture as it develops. In, in the original language, in the Greek, it means they rent their garments off of them. They ripped their clothes off of them. Another translation says they stripped them. It was rough. It was embarrassing. And so the magistrates hear this and they have the police rip their clothes off of them. And it says, they ordered them beaten with rods. Verse 23. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. In one moment, they're telling the good news of Christ. and the next moment, they're grabbed up, they're seized, they're stripped, and they're beaten with rods. The Bible says, many blows. Blow after blow after blow, many blows are administered to them. They are are bruised and they are bleeding. And it says they were thrown into prison, into jail. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. Verse 24. And he, having received such a command threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. They were taken to the most secure cell, to the innermost cell of the prison, and their feet were fastened in stocks. Now, if you look up that activity, the stocks were a wooden yoke that would be secured by chains they would actually take the prisoners and they would spread their legs as far as humanly possible apart. And once their legs were spread that far apart, then they would place the the wooden yoke between them and latch them with the chain. It was to cause great pain to the prisoner. It was to cause discomfort and cramping to the prisoner. It would make it impossible to get up, to run, to walk, incapacitating the prisoner. And so they are now beaten. They are now stripped naked. They are now hauled to the jail. Their legs are spread out and locked in the stocks and they are in great pain. See this, picture this. Paul and Silas are in bad shape. Their legs and the stocks are chained. The door is pulled to and it's locked and it's shut. There they are, and they're bleeding and their wounds are stinging. Their backs and their ribs are seething. Their legs are stretched out and they can't rest, they can't sleep, they're pulling cramps, they can't get comfortable. The door is locked, the jailer has gone on and now it is silent, it is in a bad spot. They are alone, they are in a strange city and they are suffering. Evil men have attacked them. Corrupt judges have rejected them, it's bad. They're locked in the jail and now it is silent and they're silent there and they're suffering. I wonder, do they talk? After a couple of minutes, does someone quietly say in the dark, "Are you okay? What do we do now?" It's bad. They're suffering. And then remember this: It was God that sent them to Macedonia. It was his gospel. They were preaching. Do you understand that? Do you remember that? It was his gospel. They were preaching. I wonder there in the dark as they're beaten and as their legs are in these stocks and as they're there in the darkness, they're not sure what to expect. I wonder if they ever say, Paul, we don't deserve this. Silas, we're doing the right thing. Aren't we? are we doing the right thing? I don't understand this. It doesn't make any sense and they're suffering to the core of their souls. They're suffering. Their chains are latched. The doors are locked and there they are in the dark of night and they're suffering. Verse 25. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God and the prisoners were listening to them. They were singing in their suffering. It hadn't gotten any better. They're there and their suffering and the Bible says they are singing hymns of praise to God. That's their response. That's what comes out of them. Can you imagine that? I'd like to know what they were singing. Maybe it was Psalm 107. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his loving kindness, his mercy is everlasting. Maybe it was Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Or maybe it was Psalm 96, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is the one to be feared above all gods. Or maybe it was Psalm 18, the Lord lives and blessed be my rock and let the God of my salvation be exalted. Or maybe it was Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all of the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I don't know, listen, I don't know what the song is, but the Bible says they praised God and the joy of the Lord filled their cell and the prisoners all around them heard their testimony through suffering. How does that happen? Listen, how does that happen? What in the world? How does that happen? Friend, we should not be surprised. I don't know why we are, but we should not be surprised. You see, for believers, that is where that happens. That is exactly where that happens. Understand, for believers, it is in suffering that our gospel bears up in its greatest strength. Understand, for believers, it is in suffering that God's power is made perfect. That's what he says. For believers, it is in suffering that God's grace is sufficient for us more than we'll ever need. His grace is sufficient. And it is in suffering that with all of the things of the world stripped away and with everything else proving empty, that we can ultimately now finally clearly see our God. And it is then with everything removed and in the midst of suffering that we can now surely sing, great is thy faithfulness. Lord, unto me, it is there in the midst of great suffering. Some of you can testify to this, that we can now say, it is well, it is well with my soul. It is there in the midst of great suffering when we're knocked to our knees and everything is gone that we can say, oh, Lord, my God, how great thou art. And so the question, listen, it's not how can they sing in their suffering? The question today is how can we not The question really is, do we know Jesus like that? Do we know Jesus to that extent? Here's the good news. You can. Oh, I'd like to be like Paul. Oh, I'd like to have that kind of faith. Here's the good news. Today, right now, we can. We can. He wants us to know him. Can you sing in your suffering? Let's pray. Remember, Father, we come, and I'm thankful for this truth. I'm thankful for these men. I'm thankful for their testimony. Though the things of life were terrible, though the world had turned on them, though they could see no hope, They still know the one that was hope. They knew the one that is peace. They rejoice, and again, they rejoice. They sing your praises. Lord, may we be such a people. May we be such a church. As things are hard and things are tough, Lord, can we sing your great praises? Lord, I pray for us here today and this day, for every single one of us, that we would take a step closer to you this morning that we would know you we would see you more clearly this morning that our faith in you would grow and it would be deeper as we walk out of here this morning Lord I pray for somebody here that doesn't know you they have no peace and they're stuck in the midst of suffering Lord I pray that on this day as they hear of a risen resurrected savior the hope for sinners that today they find peace in you Lord move in our midst Stir in our hearts, renew our minds and be glorified in every piece of it. We love you, we thank you, we praise you and I pray in Jesus' name, amen.